0: Thank you, Kay. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Welcome to all of our guests, visitors, and those listening on the radio as well. We have a few announcements before we begin this morning. Uh, The flowers on the altar are in honor of Nancy Bumbauer's 80th birthday uh, this coming Wednesday. Happy birthday, Nancy. (laughs) Pastor Joel is enjoying time away with his family this week. And our youth pastor and my smoking hot wife, Tori, is filling in for him. (laughs) This Tuesday, the youth are having a service day. They will travel up to the soup kitchen in Lima, and then will be spending time at Elmwood with the residents. Those going should meet in the parking lot at 9 a.m., parking lot at 9 a.m., and any adults who would like to go along are encouraged to do so as well. And that concludes our announcements. Please stand for our call to worship. Our call to worship uh, comes from first Corinthians 13 verses one through eight. If we speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but we do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if we have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if we have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If we give away all our possessions and hand over our bodies so that we may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. If you'll open your blue hymnals, the bulletin has it listed as 327, but it's actually 372, and we'll sing sing Living for Jesus. As the children come forward for children's chat, please take time to greet your neighbor.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Oh, we're sleepy. How many of you like bananas? Oh, no. Wow, well, there's only one monkey out of about eight people. You don't have them. You don't have them at your house. Oh, you will have one. Oh, Okay. You like them? All right. We're going to talk about putting God first. And we should always put God first in everything we do. And when we put our pennies and things into the offering in Sunday school or church, we need to put back money so we have that on Sunday. So we're going to talk about a little girl named Susie. And Susie is a little older, but she gets $10 allowance. That's a lot, isn't it? Well, we're going to pretend this banana is is $10, okay? Susie gets her allowance on Monday, but she wants to make sure she has enough money put back for church on Sunday. But she's got a whole week to worry about it, doesn't she? Well, Monday, and then we go to Tuesday, and there's a book fair. They're selling books at the daycare. And she has a book that she is just wanting to buy. So what Susie does is she takes part of her $10 and she goes and buys the book. And there's her allowance. She lost some of her allowance, didn't she? Huh? Well, then Wednesday comes along and she's with mom at the grocery store. And there's her. Favorite candy bar. So, what do you think Susie does? What does she do? Does she spend some of her money? And she goes and buys the candy bar. Uh oh, what's happening to her banana? Her allowance is going away, isn't it? Well, Wednesday, she has a real good friend that needs to borrow a dollar. So, Susie, being the good person that she is, she's going to loan her friend the money. So, she takes some of her allowance and she gives it to her friend. Oh my goodness. Well, Friday is a ball game. And what do you have to have at a ball game? Popcorn. Right? So, they're at the ball game gonna have popcorn. So Susie goes and buys popcorn. Well, Saturday, her friends want to go have fun at the park, and then they're going to get ice cream. What's Susie going to do? She is going to go with her friends and buy ice cream. Oh, didn't your parents feed you this morning? <laughs> Sunday. What does she have left to give God? Nothing. Nothing. The scraps. Did she put God first? She's left with a banana peeling. The banana's gone. Nothing but scraps. Is that giving to God first? No, it's not. And it's hard to do because all at once the week was gone and her money was gone. So all she had left was a penny or two in her pocket. So whatever you do or wherever you're at, whether it's offering or spending time with other people, you have to make sure that you always put God first. Let us say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these children on this wonderful summer day. Help us all to put you first in everything that we do. Help us to remember that you are almighty and have given your best to us by giving you the best gift we could ever have, your Son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Lost in our service in the last week, Sergeant First Class Elliot J. Robbins, 31, from Ogden, Utah, in Afghanistan. In California, Aviation Electronics Technician First Class Michael D. Dougherty, 42, from Bairden, Arkansas. In Hawaii, Electrician's Mate Second Class Benjamin Corkiet Taylor, 23, from Holly, Michigan. And Lieutenant Joshua L. Dreblos, 27, from Forest, Virginia.
2: Thank you, Jay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us together this morning, Lord, to freely worship and praise you together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have in our country to be able to gather and worship you. And we know that that freedom does not come at a a cost, Lord. Lord, our freedom in you came with the price of your son, um, and our freedom as a country comes with the price of many lives, Lord. We thank you for the men and the women that have served our country, um, that are serving right now, Lord, and we ask that you would be with them. Uh, we ask that you would protect them, uh, that you would be with their families, and that you would be with the families that have lost lost loved ones. God, we pray for our leaders. Uh, we pray for our state, local, and national leaders, Lord, that you would just be guiding them, Lord. Uh, as we celebrated the birthday of our country, Lord, um, and all of the fun that was gathered um, at that time, Lord, we just ask that you would continue to move us forward as a country, Lord. Be with our leaders, help them to uh, lead wisely, um, guide their hearts and their decision-making, Lord. Um, and we just ask that you would be with them. And, God, we also pray for those that are in need in our congregation, Lord, whether it's physical, whether it's uh, emotional needs, Lord, you know exactly what everyone is going through here this morning, Lord. And so, God, we just ask that you would be uh, there for them, that you would uh, intervene however you need to, Lord. Uh, bring your healing, bring your comfort, bring your peace into their lives, Lord. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be in this place this morning as we uh, talk about what it means to put you first uh, all the time, Lord, and uh, to uh, always remember you as our first love, God. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us this morning, Lord. And we pray all of these things in the way that you taught us how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, how would be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, would you stand and sing hymn number 350, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. come forward for this morning's offering, which goes to our general fund. Sarah Belton is going to bless us with special music.
3: Some say that he was just a good man. Even though he died, he wasn't really raised. Skeptics rise.
4: Today's scripture reading is taken from Revelation 2, 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and, and have endured hardship for my name, and have gone weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from your place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who overcomes. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God.
2: You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning, Lord. We thank you that we can get gather together to hear your word, um, to uh, hear your name proclaimed through music, through uh, prayer, and through this morning's message, Lord. So I pray that you would uh, be with us as we dive into Revelation. Help us to remember uh, the main points, Lord, and keep those the focus, Lord. So God, I pray that you would be big and I would be little uh, as we go into this uh, this morning's teaching, Lord. We love you and we thank you for this time. Amen. Well, I'm excited to be filling in for Pastor Joel. It's been a little while since I've had the opportunity to do that, and I am excited to share with you what God has laid on my heart. Um, I will say that it has not been an easy sermon writing process this time. It's taken a lot more to get this one off the ground, Um, but I'm excited because God has been laying really awesome things to share with you all, and so I am excited to see what the Holy Spirit does with this. Uh, So many of you know that I grew up in Michigan. I will say that I have no allegiance to sports teams from up there or down here. Sorry about your luck if you were hoping I was a Buckeyes fan, but I'm not. Um, But growing up in Michigan, I grew up on the lake. And my favorite thing to do in the summer was to go with my mom on our boat and go and float on Lake Michigan. We would take our books and we would take some snacks and we would go and spend an afternoon out on the lake. And depending on how the wind was uh, and how strong the waves were, we could easily get carried pretty far because we wouldn't drop an anchor. We would go pretty far off of the shoreline and just kind of lazily float the day away. And when we would look up from our books or wake up from a nap, because sometimes we fell asleep, uh, we would realize that we were pretty far from the channel that brings us home to my mom's house. And, you know, we never intentionally tried to drift. It just kind of happened. We were distracted by our books or napping and just spending a nice afternoon on the lake together. You know, I think drift happens not only when you're in a boat, but drift happens in our life as well. You know, you might have a friendship that you thought for sure that you would be friends with them forever and you drifted apart. Or drift happens with a hobby. Maybe you were gung-ho about a hobby for a while, and then after a while, it just didn't bring the satisfaction anymore, so you drifted from that. I think we also drift in our spiritual lives as well. We start going through the motions. We relax. or Our faith just becomes routine. And when we look up, we see how far we've drifted from our focus on God. You know, if I'm going to be honest with you and with myself, there are many times in my own relationship where I have drifted from God. And I feel like if we're all real with each other, that we've all most likely experienced spiritual drift at some point in our relationship with Christ. You know, sometimes our love for God and our relationship with him just gets put on the back burner. Life gets busy and all of a sudden he becomes our second or third priority. So when Pastor Joel and I sat down to plan out the Tough Question summer series, I'm not going to lie, I kind of looked for an easy question to tackle, because some of the questions you guys submitted were really challenging, you know, things like rapture and Satan and all of those, and so I was looking around the conference table, we had them all laid out, and he said, are there any that are jumping out to you? And I looked and I'm like, "Mm, I think I'm going to let you handle rapture and you can handle evil and all of those. I don't know if I'm ready to tackle those from the pulpit quite yet. And so as I looked around the table, I saw this question it says, is God still your first love? And then I added to that and I said, if so, then what does it continually look like to live out our love for God every single day? So when I grabbed that question, I thought I'd gotten off with an easy one because I talk about priorities and loving God first all the time with our students. And I'm pretty sure that they get sick of me talking about it, but it's important. And so when I think back to grabbing that question, I think God was kind of laughing at me because he used this question in this passage really to work on my own heart as well. You know, I believe that we all need to give ourselves gut checks from time to time, and a gut check really is just a way to test your commitment, your resolve, um, or evaluate your priorities in specific areas in your life. And the most important gut check that we can give ourselves is a spiritual gut check. And spirit, spiritual gut checks are not easy, and if you've ever given yourself one, uh, it should show you the condition of your heart, should show you things that you're doing well at, and it might you might walk away from a spiritual gut check with things that you need to work on as well you know i think that we all need to do spiritual gut checks because at some point in our life we all experience spiritual drift our priorities change life gets busy and before we know it we started drifting down the shoreline You know, oftentimes when I do a spiritual gut check on myself, it's because I need it, one, but two, I always walk away with a new resolve to live out my love for God and my faith in Him daily. So today, we're taking a nosedive into the book of Revelation. We're going to be spending a whole month in the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation, if you haven't read it before, um, or if you have, you know it's complex. It's beautiful, and sometimes it can be a little challenging to understand. There's a lot of imagery. So if, there's, if you're confused by the book of Revelation, don't worry, because a lot of us are in the same boat. Uh, but the Revelation begins with John's incredible vision of Christ. And the the vision that John had of Jesus is really important because each one of the letters to the seven churches starts with a snippet of the description of the risen Lord. So after John describes Jesus, then Jesus takes over and he begins to address the seven churches through letters. And the letters are written by Jesus, I think, kind of to serve as a spiritual gut check for each of the churches. So Revelation 2, the passage we're in today, begins with Jesus' address to the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was one of the largest cities in the Roman province of Asia. The church in Ephesus started out totally committed to their love for Christ and love for each other. They were zealous Christians, and they were very committed to living out their faith every single day. But over time, even though the church was still very committed to their relationship with Christ, they had started to drift in their love for Christ and their love for each other. And because they had spiritually drifted so much, Jesus felt the need to give them a spiritual gut check. And so Jesus starts out this gut check by listing off the things that they've done really well at. So Jesus begins his letter by reminding them of who he is. He says, he is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. So the seven stars refer to the angels that are over the seven churches. And because he holds them in his right hand, he is saying, I am an authority over these angels and I am an authority over your church. And the seven lampstands refers to the seven churches and the light of Christ that each church puts out into the world around them. So essentially, Jesus is saying, I know you really well. I know your church well. I've been walking among you for some time. And that also gives him the basis then to go into this gut check. So Jesus has seen everything that they've done. Jesus gives them two thumbs up on their good works and on their endurance. They've persevered. They've worked hard. They didn't put up with false teachers, and they've endured hardships in the name of Christ. So they're doing pretty good. And for all intents and purposes, they appeared to be good salt-of-the-earth Christians. But Jesus still had something against them that they needed to be gut-checked on. The church had a heart problem, and so here's what Jesus holds against them. He says, yeah, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. The church had not drifted in its behavior. The church had not drifted in its teaching. They were still solid on those things, but they had drifted in their love for Christ, and they had failed to prioritize him in their hearts. And they had drifted so much so that Jesus had said that they had forsaken their love for him. Now, the word forsaken is a very strong word. If you forsake something, it means you've abandoned it, you've deserted it, or you've left it behind, either intentionally or by neglect. And when you forsake something, the responsibility falls completely on you. Now, there are two major ways that we forsake our love for Christ. The first is leaving him, abandoning him completely and saying, we don't want a relationship with you anymore. And the second, which I think is probably more common, uh, is the slow drift. And we see both forms of this throughout Scripture, but we can see it in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. So if you've read the story of the prodigal son, uh, there's the prodigal son and the older brother, and they've both forsaken their love for Christ. They just went about it for their father. They just went about it a little bit differently. The prodigal son went to his dad and said, Dad, I want my money. I'm leaving. I'm never coming back. I don't want to be part of this family anymore, so give me my money because I'm hitting the road tomorrow. And so the father gave him his inheritance, and the son, the prodigal son went off and squandered it. And then you have the older brother, and the older brother stayed back. He worked for his father day in and day out, out of duty, not because of true love for his father, but because it was the right thing to do. And at different points in this story, you see the father declaring his love for his sons regardless of what they've done, whether they left him completely and blew all his money or they've served him out of loveless devotion. And just like the father of the two sons never stopped loving those boys, God never stops loving us. God promises that even though we might forsake him, even though we might drift in our relationship from him, he will never forsake us. You know, I think the church of Ephesus was kind of like the older brother. They had completely neglected their love for Christ. They didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, we're done with this. I'm not going to have a relationship with you anymore. They had forsaken their love for Christ without even realizing it. It was because they'd become so wrapped up in the things that they were doing that they had forgotten the most important piece of that. You know, I think it's really easy to deceive ourselves, to think that, well, we must love Jesus because we're doing the Christian thing. You know, we come to church, we're serving, all of those things, and those are good things to be doing. But we have to check ourselves because it's really easy to allow the things that we do to become more important than our love and our relationship with Christ. So at this point, Jesus has laid all the cards out on the table. He's showed them the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he's told the church of all the things that they've done well. And then more importantly, he's told them what they've done wrong. They have forsaken their love for Christ. But unfortunately, what they're doing wrong is worse than what they're doing right. You know, if I'm honest with myself, I can see myself within this gut check. I can see Jesus saying these words to me because it's really easy for me to fall into the trap of going through the motions. You know, my faith and my job are pretty wrapped up together, which is a beautiful thing. I have the awesome privilege to teach the Word of God for a living, uh, and not many people get to do that, and I think it's really cool. Um, But, you know, it can also be hard. And I found that when I start to blur the lines of, studying for myself and studying for youth group for forming a lesson or sermon prep or whatever uh, that if i blur those and say well you know i spent this amount of time studying this passage and i still learned something uh and i'm good for the rest of the day i don't need to study for my own personal relationship with christ and i found that if i do that i start to see my faith as a job I start to see my faith as something I do, not part of who I am, and I start to go through the motions. It becomes just routine to study the word for my job instead of for my own relationship with God. And being in ministry doesn't mean that I don't struggle with going through the motions. I do. And if I had to guess, I don't think I'm the only one in this room that struggles with that. And if none of you struggle with that, please let me know what your secret is. Um, but if none of you do struggle with that, I know that I'm not alone, because God has had to correct his people on this very issue over and over again through uh, Scripture. In Isaiah 29:13, the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules that they have been taught. The people of Israel... We're going through the motions. They struggled with that too. They did the right things. They knew the right teachings, yet they lacked the love. Their faith had become so routine, and it had become so routine that they'd stopped living out of a real and loving relationship with God. Charles Spurgeon, a great theologian and pastor, says this in his sermon on Revelation 2. He says, When we first loved the Savior, how earnest we were. There was not a single thing in the Bible that we did not think most precious. There was not one command of his that we did not think to be like fine gold or choice silver. Again, how happy you used to be in the ways of God. Your love was that of happy character that you could sing all day long. But now your religion has lost its luster. You come to the table, oh, the gold has become dim, and you know that when you come to the sacramental table, you often come there without enjoying it. There was a time when every bitter thing was sweet. Whenever you heard the word, it was all precious to you. Again, when we were in our first love, what we would do for Christ. Now, how little we will do. Some of the actions which we performed when we were young Christians, but just converted, when we look back upon them, seem to have been wild and like idle tales. See, loving God isn't about the good works that we can do. It's not about the head knowledge that we have of him because God is not fooled by our good works and he is not fooled by all the information that we know. And he knows when we're putting on an act. He knows when we're going through the motions and he does not want loveless devotion from us. But he's also not asking us to have lovey-dovey feelings for him from the second we wake up to the second we go to bed. His point is whether love for him is a regular feature and pattern in our lives. So then the question that we have to ask ourselves is, have we become like the church of Ephesus? Have we lost our love for Christ or have we drifted in that love for Christ? Is, life, is love for Christ a regular feature and pattern in your life? Or have you allowed life to get in the way of that love? If you're like me, and you've you've answered yes to any of those questions, that's okay, because there is hope. So listen to what Jesus says next. He says, consider how far you've fallen and repent. Do the things you did at first, because if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So Jesus gave this pretty hard gut check, and he told the church in Ephesus that they were a loveless group of people going through the motions. That was probably pretty hard to hear, Uh, but he didn't just leave them there. He didn't leave them with any way out. He gave them three things to do to rekindle the love that they had forsaken. And the first is remember, consider how far you've fallen. It seems so simple. Remember, but think of it this way. When you first get married, you're in a honeymoon phase, right? Everything is great. It's beautiful. You're in love. And the honeymoon doesn't last forever, though, does it? And it's not supposed to. Jake and I have been married for almost two years, but these two years have been filled with ups and downs. And I'm thankful that it hasn't always been easy. I'm thankful that it has been hard at times. And there have been quite a few times that we've had disagreements, that we fought or whatever, and we've said to ourselves either out loud or in our heads, did we really sign up for this? Like, is this what we signed on the dotted line for? And the answer is, yeah, yeah, we did. And we're thankful that we did because we signed up to choose to love each other despite what life may bring, despite if we wake up mad at each other that day or if something is happening. We've, cho- we've decided to choose to love each other regardless of anything else that happens. And, you know, to remind myself of this, I actually keep a picture of them in my Bible. And it's his work picture, and I think it's pretty cute. Um, But on the back of this picture, I have written all of the things that I love about this man. And some of them are silly, like he can get a hymn stuck in my head first thing in the morning, and it'll be stuck there for the rest of the day. He loves hymns. Um, And some of them are more serious, like he loves God and he loves his family and he loves me. And all of those things, when we're just when there's a rough patch or even when I just need a reminder, I go to this picture and I'm reminded of the man that he is. I'm reminded of how much I love him and that I'm going to choose to love him despite what happens. You know, uh, remembering things has power. It has a lot of power, and that's why Jesus says to remember. Consider how far you've fallen. And if you've read the book of Ephesians, you'll see a new church with new believers on fire for God. Paul, in Ephesians 1, 15 through 16, praises the church in Ephesus for their love. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The Church of Ephesus was once defined by their faith and their love for God, they were like the newlyweds. They had just heard the gospel message, and they were totally in love with Jesus, willing to go to the ends of the earth for him. Now fast forward to Revelation. The newlywed phase had clearly worn off, and their love for Christ was lacking. There's a pretty big difference between the church that we meet in Ephesians and this church in Revelations. And Jesus is calling them to remember the love that they had at first. So do you remember when you first heard the gospel message? Do you remember when you first heard it and accepted it into your life that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, that he wants a relationship with you now, but also in eternity? Do you remember how that impacted you? Simply thinking on that, on our transformation in Christ, will fan our flames of love for him. So then Jesus says that after they have compared their original love for God with the condition of their relationship now, that they were to repent, to turn away from the things that they have allowed to take their focus off of Christ, to turn away from the things that have made them lose sight of that love that they had had, and to repent that the, of the ways that they have served out of loveless duty instead of love-filled devotion. The church in Ephesus needed to turn to the Lord and ask him to have mercy on them. The church of Ephesus needed to ask Jesus to renew their first love and to grant them the strength to love him and love others. You know, I believe a church ceases to be a church when the love in their hearts is gone or that love has gone cold. Love for Christ and love for others are the defining marks of a Christ follower. And we run the risk of becoming ineffective Christ followers if we continue or we live without love. If we've lost or drifted in our love for God, then we've lost our ability to love others well too. And loving God and loving others goes hand in hand. And 1 Corinthians 13, through 3 reminds us of that. Paul says, "If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing." If we have spiritually drifted and lost our love for Christ, then we have to repent. Jesus told the church in Ephesus that if they did not repent, that there would be consequences. Christ would come in, they would lose their light-bearing ability in the world around them, and he would remove their lampstand. The church in Ephesus ceased to be effective, and their light was snuffed out and their lampstand removed. Ephesus is gone. Nothing but ruins can be found. And when we operate out of loveless duty instead of love-filled devotion, we run the risk of losing our effectiveness as Christ followers as well. We can only continue to live without love for so long, because love is a choice. And as as a church and as individuals, we must love Christ and love others above all else, or I believe we've lost the ability to call ourselves Christians. The only thing then we can do is repent. Repent of the things that we've allowed to get in the way of that love. And I'm guilty of this too. You know, we get to determine the things that take up the time and space on our calendar and in our hearts. God has given us the free will to choose him, to choose to love him, or to allow other things to get in the way of that love. So then the question becomes for all of us, are there things that we need to repent of that we have allowed to get in the way of that love? The church in Ephesus was once on fire, and just because they had lost and drifted in their love for Christ didn't mean that they couldn't get that back. Jesus told them that after they had remembered, after they had repented, that they were to repeat. Jesus told them to do the things they did at first that made them fall in love with him. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, go back to the basics. You know, the best piece of advice I've ever received came from me at one of the hardest times in my life. My parents divorced my sophomore year of college, and I remember telling my old youth pastor that I was mad at God, I was mad at my parents, I was basically just mad at the world, Um, and I really honestly wasn't sure if I wanted to have a relationship with God, because I was so hurt, and at that point, I was choosing not to love God. And thank God for my youth pastor, because he is very wise, and he gave me the best piece of advice I've ever received. He said, you need to do three things daily to remind yourself of God's love and your love for him. He said, you need to read your Bible, you need to pray, and you need to worship every single day. And so I took him up on that advice because he's very wise and he knows what he's talking about. And I chose to read my Bible and to pray and to worship. And I added one more on the end of that, and that was to gather with friends and believers that loved me and that I loved. And slowly but surely, even though I was still mad, even though I was still mad at God and still mad at my parents, my heart began to soften. Soften towards God, soften towards my family, and I was reminded of why I love the Lord and why, that, why it would have been silly for me to walk away from that relationship. You know, if you're experiencing spiritual drift right now, the best piece of advice I can give you is go back to the basics. Jesus made it so simple for the church in Ephesus to gain their love back. He said, do the things you did at first and your love will come back, for, uh, come back to you. Sometimes I think we like to overcomplicate things when it comes to our faith. We like to overcorrect on mistakes we make, but really it's so simple. Go back to the basics. Choose to make time for Christ every single day. Clear time in your calendar every single day and commit to it. Our calendars are not going to clear themselves. They're just going to keep filling up. But we have to choose to clear time for Christ. Get in your Bible, find a new devotional, or take a book of Scripture and read through it. If you're stuck on which one to read, I would recommend Ephesians. It's one of my favorites, and it has a lot of good stuff in there. But think on Scripture and allow God to show you His love. And I promise that if you spend time in Scripture, there's no way that you're going to walk away without seeing God's love in there. And then the second thing is pray daily. Prayer is our direct connection to God, but often comes, oftentimes it becomes our last resort. Sometimes we don't go to him in prayer. But guess what? God knows when we're drifting. He knows when we are out in the middle of the lake on a boat floating down the shoreline. And he knows when we're distracted. And the best thing that you can do if you are feeling like you have spiritually drifted is to go to him and say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to drift anymore. Help me to focus my attention and my heart on you every single day. And you might have to pray that Every single day, every single hour. I know I have at times in my life. And then finally, worshiping worshiping and gathering together Worshiping is declaring who God is, the goodness of who he is, whether you do that in the shower, whether you do that in your car, on the way to work, whether you do that here among other believers, but you are declaring the truth of who God is and who who he says he is in his word. And finally, gathering together with other believers reminds us that we're not alone. So I like to do spiritual gut checks with our students at the beginning, middle, and end of each year. And really, it's a way for me to see where they're at uh, in their own faith, but it's also really cool, because when we do those spiritual ju- gut checks, usually one student will be brave enough, and they will say, you know, I feel like I've drifted in my relationship with God. And they'll say, you know, Netflix has gotten in the way of that, or Friends, or Sports, whatever the case may be. And usually when one kid says it, then like clockwork, other kids start saying it as well. And then, but... It, The coolest thing about that moment is that when everyone says that, when people are saying, you know what, I'm struggling too, that there is power because we're reminded that we are not doing this life alone and we're not living out our faith alone. And so it allows us to hold each other accountable in those moments. So find someone to talk to, to share your heart with. Do a spiritual gut check with a friend or with a spouse. Or if you don't have anyone to do a spiritual gut check with and you'd like to do one, come find me. I would love to sit down with you and talk about that. You know, at first, going back to the basics might seem really hard. Um, it might seem too simple. And you might not feel love feelings for Christ the second you open your Bible. That's okay. But I promise you that as you go back to the basics, as you immerse yourself in God's love, that he will change your heart. And sometimes all it takes for us to rekindle our love for Christ is just to go back to the basics. You know, I believe this spiritual gut check is a beautiful reminder that there is still hope for us. And Jesus ends by giving the church an encouragement and a promise. For all of us to continually overcome our tendency to spiritually drift. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. See, spiritual drift is common, but it doesn't have to be a common theme in our spiritual life. You know, for the church in Ephesus, and I believe for us, overcoming our tendency to spiritually drift requires a lot more than good works and sound teaching. Those are important, but it requires the internal unity of love with Christ and with each other. And then the reward that we get for continually overcoming our spiritual drift is that we get to be united with God in paradise, eating from the tree of life. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to overcome my tendency to spiritual drift. And I hope that it makes you all want to as well, because guess what? I want you there eating from the tree with me. I want us all together in the paradise of God. But you know, at the end of the day, True faith and love in Christ overcomes. True faith and love in Christ conquers. We can and we are encouraged to overcome our tendency to spiritually drift by keeping Christ first in our life, by keeping our love for him first. It's not easy, but we can overcome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this spiritual gut check. It's not easy to hear things like this, Lord. It's not easy to hear the the good, the bad, and the ugly sometimes, Lord, but it's necessary. God, we pray, we ask that you would forgive us, that you would forgive us of the ways that we have drifted from you. Would you just bring us back to you, Lord? Help us to go back to the basics, to rekindle our love for you, Lord, so that we can love you and love others. God, I pray for anyone in this room that is experiencing spiritual drift right now, Lord, that you would just remind them of your love for them. God, would you bring them back? Would you remind them that they are loved, that even if they've drifted, that it's okay that you are still here loving us no matter what, Lord. And I pray for all of us that you would give us the strength to continually overcome our tendency to spiritually drift. We love you and we thank you for this time. Amen. Now if you would all stand and join in singing hymn number 382, Be Thou My Vision. this morning, I'm going to ask you to get a little uncomfortable. I'm going to ask you to place your hand on the shoulder of someone next to you or in front of you. Um, and we are going to pray the prayer of the Ephesians over each other. And that prayer reminds us of our love, of Christ's love for us um, and to live out of that love. So let's pray. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within you, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You may go in peace.